question is really about under better understanding pipeline velocity, specifically the the calculation for how you get there, how you measure it, why it's quarterly. Let's start with that. And then I'll skim the rest of the question and make sure we've successfully answered. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up a resource just so people have a visual here too. Beautiful. So when you're making the pipeline velocity calculation, you're combining three lagging sales metrics that are calculated based on close one deals. Those are our closed deals, which are win rate, sales cycle, and average ARR. And then you're implementing a present metric, number of qualified opportunities generated, what we call hero opportunities, that becomes the present metric to feed forward to project future performance. This becomes a relative measure of how much velocity or how fast pipeline is moving through your funnel to closed one over a period of time. So it becomes a metric that you can use over time to understand, is it going up or is it going down? Are we moving in the right direction? Or are we moving in the wrong direction? It also helps you acknowledge that there are four key metrics that actually impact how fast you can grow. Most companies only look at how much pipeline did we generate? They're not looking at how long were the sales cycles? What are the ways that we can cut that? How can we increase ASP? How can we increase the win rates? We have higher sales productivity. There are a lot of different ways that you can overall increase the growth, the growth of your company. As an example, in 2018, when I worked at a company, um, their outbound method drove a lot of pipeline, but they won that pipeline at 6% from meeting to closed one and the sales cycles on them were 212 days. And then we created a different channel where people were actually coming through a website and saying, hey, I wanted to buy now, which created actually way less pipeline. It was probably 30% of the pipeline generated through outbound. But we won that pipeline at 34%. And the sales cycles on those deals were 76 days instead of 212 days. So you have just significant. So with way less pipeline, you have significantly more velocity and scalability, which would allow you to say, "Hey, if we're going to scale or invest more money, we should invest more money in the places that are demonstrating the highest pipeline velocity." And so this is the calculation that you get, and then you can analyze that over whatever period of time that you decide. Looking at this quarterly for most companies is probably the right way to look at it. And uh, annually is probably too long and uh, monthly is too short and will be too erratic. Most, co- If you look at publicly traded companies or even venture funded companies, most companies are measuring their progress and performance on fiscal quarters. And so looking at this uh, in a fiscal quarter would be the reason that we measure it quarterly. And then in that case, this number, days in the analysis period, would be 91, which is the average amount of days in a fiscal quarter. You could also decide to measure it annually at 365 days, which would be able to show you maybe for a company that has a two-year sales cycle or a 180-day sales cycle, this might be a good way to look at it over a long period of time. But then again, you can't really compare it to another data point for a full year. And most companies that are listening to this podcast and most companies just generally 
are looking for an indicator that they can look at at a more frequent basis. And I think this becomes one of the core key metrics for net new revenue generation. I'm not saying it's more important than NRR. I'm not saying that it's more important than other metrics that companies prioritize like EBITDA or profitability. But when you look at the effectiveness and the progress to your net new customer acquisition, this becomes what I think is the most important metric because it combines a lot of the uh, metrics that are shared between marketing and sales, the most important metrics for net new acquisition into one core metric and shows you how you're performing over time. So happy to answer a follow-up here, but here's the calculation that you can use. And then you can decide based on your sales cycle and business needs at what rate or what frequency that you analyze it. But the thing that I've found to work for most businesses is quarterly. In the same vein, can you also chat about close rate, how it's calculated, how people can use it, leverage insights? Absolutely. Let's see if this is in here so I can just show it. Yeah. Okay. Win rate is calculated and then op- opportunities needs to be further defined. What, it, what do we consider an opportunity? Most companies will consider it based on the stage of the opportunity, regardless of the pipeline source, whether it, like I mentioned, whether at the company I work for, whether it came from outbound and we wanted it at 6% or whether it came through the website and we wanted it at 34%, they just all consider that pipeline. Um, I find that there's a more scientific, accurate, predictable way to, to do it by measuring the win rate of specific pipeline sources like outbound cold calling, giving away gift cards, you know, a declared intent web, website conversion, someone that asked for a demo at an event, etc. Um, but you need to define what an opportunity actually means first. And then from there... Then you can just you can look at all the opportunities that reach that stage. Which pretend it's stage three in the sales process for right now. So all of the opportunities in the entire business that reach the third stage, how many of them went to close one, and how many of them went to close lost, and only use the opportunities that have reached one of those outcomes. So we're not including active deals in here. We're only including deals that have reached a one or lost uh, outcome. And then we're going to look at how many opportunities did we win divided by how many opportunities did we win plus how many opportunities did we lose, i.e. how many total opportunities that we had. And that'll give you the win rate of your opportunities. Another key thing that has to happen here is that the sales team needs to have discipline to move a opportunity to won or lost when it's won or lost. A lot of companies with long sales cycles or a lot of companies that, that don't have a lot of discipline in their overall pipeline will have sales reps keep opportunities open that really should be marked as lost with a task to follow up in six months. Instead, they just leave it open in stage three, which then impacts your sales cycle data. It impacts your win rate data. It impacts your pipeline velocity calculations. And so having clean data is and sales discipline and how to manage opportunities in a pipeline is table stakes here. And then from there, this calculation becomes very simple. I know that you have some thoughts on inbound versus outbound, and you speak about a term that you called um, allbound. Could you just share your thoughts on allbound? Because I love that kind of like section that I, if, if I wrote about or read it or heard it, I'm not sure, but I loved it either way. Yeah, for for sure. First off, allbound is not my term. Other people used it way before me. So I'm just sort of like communicating what companies are already talking about or doing. Allbound being that like 
It, the, the key point here is that we need to get rid of this level of departmental level credit to defend ROI. That's what, that's what all bound is meant to do. Um, it gets rid of this at the attribution touch points. It gets rid of like, oh, like this person went to our trade show booth, but then we did an outbound call. What should we give credit to the SDR? And a lot of the, what I think is very, uh, unproductive things that happen inside of companies driven by the metrics and the goals and how they drive budget. So companies are adopting more of what they call an all bound model, which is that it doesn't act, we have a set of target accounts and it doesn't matter how they get into our pipeline but we just want to be able to get into their pipeline. And then we have to be able to look at ROI and impact in a different way, which I think is smart. I think the thing that's missing is the idea that you need an underlying framework to understand what are actually the best ways for buyers to get into our pipeline. And the insight that we have here is that like, if you look at an outbound meeting or a meeting that you could source by giving a $200 gift card away, or if you look at a meeting that's a qualified buyer that comes to your website and asks for a demo, or if you have someone that went to your webinar or downloaded your content and then you cold call them, the sales velocity of all those different areas are going to be way different and all bound models right now don't account for that. And so by using the, what we call a pipeline source, what is the, some people call it tipping point. What is the source that drove the sales action that got someone into pipeline and using that as a surrogate measure for buying intent to then look at the metrics to just make better decisions about how, where do we want to optimize and where do we want people to come through. Um, and when you look at that, some of the things that you see over and over is like when we drive a sales action off of account, a content download, we win one out of a thousand of those quote unquote MQLs or leads or whatever you want to call them. If we had an ABM, like there was intent data, we cold called someone, maybe we'll win those at one to 3%. If someone filled out a demo request and they're qualified and we get them into a meeting, maybe we'll win those at five to 12%. And by knowing the win rates and the ACVs and calculating pipeline velocity between those things, it allows the revenue team to say, Hey, actually, like we don't want to drive sales actions for content downloads. A lot of people know that now, but I've been looking at that data for almost five years. And a lot of people didn't know about it five years ago. Hey, like the people that ask for a demo win at the highest rate, they have the best sales velocity. Let's try and figure out what's driving these people to go here and ask for a demo. Why don't we ask them either in a, on a sales call through self-reported attribution, through market research surveys, what is triggering them to come and ask for a demo so we can go and do more of that. Um, so those are some of the thoughts that I have on Allbound. I share a lot of information on LinkedIn and we've done quite a bit of research on that. We've also published a framework about our, uh, how we use pipeline sources, not as a way to attribute credit to departments, but to help the revenue team look at the system overall and decide where should we focus and where should we prioritize to get the best sales velocity for our team. The number one way that you reduce sales cycles in any B2B company is you change the intent of the buyer at the time of the first meeting with sales. I'll give you data to illustrate this. In 2018, I ran this analysis of the company after for two years, I'd been operating this demand gen model. Historically, the trailing 12 months outbound had sales cycles of 212 days and win rates from demo to close of 7%. And buyers that came to the website and asked for a demo had sales cycles of 76 days instead of 212 days. And we won those demos at 35% instead of 7%. And when you look at it that way, it becomes very clear that the same rep is how it's like, it's not the salesperson's talent that's changing this. It's not whether we did an event to close the deal during a trade show. It's the idea that when the buyer started talking to sales, they actually wanted to buy. That's really the difference. So the way that you shorten sales cycles is that 
you run an effective demand creation, demand capture strategy so that when buyers are talking to sales, they're educated, they understand the problem, they understand the pricing, they've talked to peers inside of communities, they trust your brand, other stakeholders in the company know who you are and what you do. And then you have an effective meeting when the buyer's 85% of the way done buying when they talk to sales for the first time, rather than being 0% of the way done buying because we cold called them when they'd never heard of our company before. And so that is, it's like every company makes, not every company, lots of marketing teams and lots of companies make this mistake where they think that the best way to accelerate pipeline is to get someone into a meeting and then do everything they can with marketing to, to get this active pipeline to push it through when the original buyer didn't have a large intent to buy, it's way more effective to change the person that you, the person and the intent level you have the meeting with rather than trying to do things once a person's in pipeline that doesn't want to buy. That's my, I'm like a hundred percent clear on this point. And I just see a lot of, should, should you do pipeline marketing? Sure. Do you want to do an event with a customer, uh, during an event to try and like close, close a big deal? Absolutely. You should do that stuff. But the, the, unlock here is that the actual way to accelerate sales cycles is to educate buyers at scale. So one thing that we've done at Proposify is we recently have the BDR team reporting into marketing. So that's been really an awesome experience for me as a marketing leader. Number one, I've never had BDRs report into me or any type of sales function reporting to my team. So uh, what I've learned is that it's really created a lot more just alignment. And I know that sounds like jargon and like, okay, great, Nadia, it's alignment. But what we've been able to do is really pinpoint where the issues are to really around sales velocity. Like where are our deals stalling? Where are things getting stuck? How do we move it faster? Our marketing ops, practitioner managers on the issues, if it's a lead routing or lead routing issue, if we're hearing things in market that we're not addressing from a pain point perspective, we're able to talk about that in the meetings. There's just been a lot of alignment in a very short period of time. So it's really helped our teams align on our metrics. Q1 actually for us was a really good Q1. I don't know if it's because the BDR team and the marketing team are on the same team, but we hit 102% of forecasts. We had Hunter over here who hit 186% of his stage one quota in March. So loving it. Hunter, what was your perspective on that? And I'd love to get Chris your perspective on BDRs reporting into, maybe we'll start with Chris. BDR was reporting into marketing. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, my position on this since I saw it in companies at two separate companies is that, like, sure, we can have a debate over whether SDRs or BDRs should go under sales or marketing. But I think the real discussion needs to be what should a business development function do today? I think that's really the discussion. I think that moving it under marketing might give it some more flexibility and power to evolve and change based on what buyers need. I love the move to marketing for the reason that it it helps move closer to an all-bound model where we don't have a lot of like cross-attribution problems between SDRs and marketing, which are inherently overlapped and important to be working together. I think that if you did move BDRs to marketing, it would allow the marketing leader to rebalance budgets across demand capture and demand creation more effectively. I think that companies are significantly overweighted on BDR resources when they're in the sales department. I think they have too many to be direct. So I think there's a lot of benefits to to making this move if it allows you to adjust and evolve the strategy of what a business development function does. I do agree that biz dev today is a lot different than what you did in 2012 when I would like fly on a plane 
and we'd go and have a meeting with a company and that was business development. Now you can post a video on LinkedIn and 100,000 people can see it. And that's a far better, more effective way to do business development today. So those are some of my thoughts on this move. I think it can work for a lot of companies if the right marketing leader is in place and if the company allows the function to evolve and not just be a cold call farm. One of the things that jumped out from a few conversations I've had with different CEOs over the years is that that all important phrase ROI, right? And you've just touched upon one of those gray areas that would be fascinating to hear how you've assisted different clients in these in these areas, Chris. But what you want to be able to track and monitor everything because it makes you feel like you spend your time, your energy into this stuff is worth it, even though some of the stuff you've just talked about is not going to be trackable or it's going to be very, very hard to track that. How do you assist CEOs and other people that are making these decisions to do these kind of things, even though it's not exactly trackable like many other more standardized areas would be? I would challenge CEOs to try and tell me with deep level of accuracy what the ROI of their sales team is or what the ROI of their product team is. And the reality is that the only way you're going to get the ROI of your sales team is by stripping everything else out of the company, not doing it, and then seeing how your sales team does, which is going to be not very well. So all that's happening is because of the way that companies measure the success of it, it skews the impact to lower funnel activities like sales and performance marketing and doesn't incentivize the other parts of the the uh, go-to-market engine like marketing, your CEO doing evangelism, your customer success team promoting things online and driving dark social. So it's literally just how the measurement model is set up, skews the model to favor the ROI toward quote-unquote sales. What we need to realize at this point is that revenue is a business metric, not a sales metric. And when you elevate a metric like that, like NRR, NRR should not be a customer success metric. It's a business metric. Net new revenue is not a sales metric. It's a business metric. And when you look at it as a business metric, then you think, how are all of these components contributing to actually making it happen? It's the same thing as a manufacturing facility, right? You actually have to get supply in, then you need to process the supply, then you can sell the supply. If you don't have a supply chain, you're not making anything. And so it's literally the same thing. You could look at marketing as the supply chain, sales as the manufacturing engine. And so we need to be looking at this holistically. If you look at it at a deeper level in terms of marketing ROI, I think there are a couple of key things that you can do. One, if you are executing on capture demand channels, which could be marketing and it could be sales and it could be other places, then you should be able to have some level of ROI on the ability to capture that demand, Google ads, affiliates, events, stuff like that. And then when you think about creating demand, I don't think that this is optional as a business. You need to look at this as a CEO of a company and say, where are all the levers that I have to create demand in the market and push out our positioning category messaging to people in a way that they like? If our CTO is amazing at describing our technology, Let's, and we sell to developers or CIOs or things like that. Let's get that person in front of events on hosting a podcast, posting on LinkedIn. We can have our marketing team building customer or customer success team of marketing building customer stories of all the customers that are having success. We can get testimonials and we can have all people inside of the company responsible for creating demand for the company, not just marketing. 
So you mentioned alignment. I'm curious. Um, and what do you see coming in the next couple of years? You know, clearly we talk about revenue being a team sport where these teams do work better together. And to your point, marketing starting to be accountable to numbers and actually bringing closed one deals to the finish line. Right. So what are, what are some of the things that you see getting in the way? I know you've touched before on measurement being one of the things that gets in the way of alignment. Yeah, I, th- I think this all comes down to measurement and mindset. On the on the measurement side, the things that mo- work most effectively in marketing today are not getting properly attributed. And because sales sits lower funnel in a more transactional role, they te- it tends to be much easier to measure those touch points. That's one thing, but I think it's actually way more high level. I think that at a high level, the executives in the organization, including the CEO, don't have alignment on what are we trying to do. What is the actual, what are the actual objectives? And you got the sales leader that's expecting 5,000 MQLs or vice versa. Most sales leaders actually don't want 5,000 MQLs anymore. And, or the marketing leader wants to deliver 5,000 MQLs because that's what they did at the past five companies and the sales leader doesn't want them or things like that. You just have general misalignment on, are we running a lead gen strategy to do outbound? Are we running a, a like dark social strategy to get buyers that want to buy to infuse sort of like word of mouth and things like that to pull people in? Is it some type of blend? How do we how are we going to measure the team and things like that? But to me, the core realization, and I agree with revenue as a team sport, is that no matter where the buyer converts in or how you measure it, you need both of these things to drive revenue on anything. If you're going to run your outbound model and not have something over the top so that customers know you, it's not going to work as well. I know that your outbound is getting fully attributed and CAC's getting calculated against only sales headcount, but you actually need that other part. When you have when you have things that come through the website, if your if your sales team's running outbound with a link to your website in there, there's an outbound to inbound motion that's real, where you need actually need sales in, a, in an assist. And so, recognizing that you actually, no matter what go to market motion, it's not about credit. Um, most companies look at it as department focused. I think this is a really outdated way of looking at it. So, what do we get from marketing? What do we get from sales? What do we get from partner? And if you look at it just from marketing, for instance, they blend all the shit that marketing puts together. So you got demo requests that your sales team wins one out of 12 with gated content syndication leads that your sales team wins one out of 1,000. And in the measurement, those things are treated the same. The value of those in the measurement is treated the same, which pushes your team to just go and get cheap, shitty leads. And so instead of separating it by department, separating it on how is the buyer entering our pipeline, what we call pipeline sources, I find to be way more logical, removes the emotion of who's getting the credit and actually drives far better planning and strategy because then you can see how many, what buyers are coming to our website and saying, hey, I wanna buy now, what happens with them? What is the win rate? What's the ACV? What is the sales velocity of that source? When Because it's surrogate for intent. Buyer says, hey, I wanna buy. Odds are they wanna buy more than someone you're pulling out of Zoom info or something like that. Um, and so you can use these different ways that people convert as a surrogate for intent. So you have website, you got intent data driven outbound. A lot of companies call that ABM right now. You got cold outbound out of a cold database. You got lead gen programs like content syndication and things like that. You have events, you have partner. Those are like maybe the six core buckets that this could could fill in. And then you'll see patterns of what is the sales velocity and things like that for each one. And if you do that analysis, one, it splits it up so it's easier to plan it removes the, did it's marketing or sales do this? And it treats it like a team sport in all of them. And it allows the business to say, 
you know, our website and our ABM intent data motion are actually the things that are driving high velocity, actual pipeline, have scalability. Let's forget these other things. Maybe, I mean, whatever the example is, let's keep these, let's focus here because these are the places where we want people to convert. Um, and so I think that at a mindset level, try, like having, you have to adopt a new way of looking at things and remove the idea of credit for this to happen because what I just presented to you with the pipeline sources, like a lot of people talk about an all bound approach where like it basically doesn't matter where the buyer converts and then they treat the exact same pipeline for someone they cold call that they went at 8% versus someone on the website that they went at 40%. I'm presenting effectively just a more granular, more effective approach to all bound, which is by looking at where the buyer is actually converting, which is a surrogate for intent. You just have better planning and visibility to the next level down. It's not about credit or the department, but you have a visibility on where do we want buyers to go? And the data that we see consistently is obviously you're going to get the highest sales velocity for people that say, hey, I want to buy now and come to your website. So why aren't revenue teams out there trying to figure out what is driving people to come to our website and say, hey, I want to buy now and then figure out how do we how do we do more of that? Right. And so we've done something super simple on the form where someone says, hey, I want to talk to your sales team right now. They can fill out the form and then they can book a meeting directly with our rep. And on the form, one of the questions is, how did you hear about us? And we get insights of, I heard your CEO talk at this event. Um, we get LinkedIn podcast. We get TikTok a lot. Um, YouTube, very rarely do we get search. It's not yeah. part of our strategy, but very rarely do we get search. And so by getting that insight, then we can say what, and we get a ton of referrals and word of mouth. And so with all that data, we can say, wow, these three or four people out there are sending us five opportunities a month. Let's figure out how we can go and partner with them, right? This shit is happening in every company. They're just not measuring it, so they don't know. The way that demand is created and captured has changed. And so the imbalance in sales resources to demand becomes the number, the number one efficiency driver. And then from there, like a huge efficiency driver for companies is, especially ones that are relatively mature or growing, is that they have a ton of inbound demand coming in. I've been talking about this for five years now. You got a hundred demo, like demo requests, contact sales requests per month, and you have 10,000 MQLs, MQL scores, MQAs. They all get mixed together. So you got 10,100 leads. A hundred of them are actually good. 10,000 of them aren't showing intent. You're chasing them outbound. And because of the way that they're mixed together and the prioritization of volume, the sales team doesn't prioritize the hundred that are actually good. So then their perception of marketing is marketing and sending us a bunch of shitty leads because they're not focused on the ones that are actually good because of this sort of like mixing together or the idea that all MQLs are created equal. So focusing them on the hundred, optimizing the amount of meetings they get from those, working with the sales leader to optimize what the first call is. If it's an, with an SDR, maybe it should be with an AE or a solutions consultant, like optimizing what the first call does, depending on the target customer, the ACV, things like that. And being able to progress that quote unquote, we call it a pipeline source, declared intent website conversions is one pipeline source, events would be another one, cold outbound, ABM intent data. This one, declared intent website conversions should be by far your highest converting, best sales productivity pipeline source out there because it's literally buyers that are firmographically qualified that come to your website and say, hey, I would like to buy now. You're going to have better win, win rates, shorter sales cycles across the board with those than someone you just pick out of Zoom info or a database and cold call. 
And so figuring out how to optimize that flow, if you have enough existing volume from it, is probably the, uh, the number one way to improve sales productivity once you've matched like headcount with overall, uh, overall demand. And then in order to like scale back up, you got to figure out new ways to create demand, which I believe is a business level strategy, not a marketing level strategy. You got executives creating demand, customer success team, hopefully people on the sales team, marketing team, external, you know, your ecosystem and partners. There's a lot of ways that you can create demand that come outside of the marketing team. So I, it's interesting, uh, thought perspective, marketing is well equipped to create demand, especially in certain ways, like the product marketing, uh, targeted thing that I talked with Sarah about hosting a podcast. There's definitely things that marketing can do, but when you look at it as a business level goal, you get your CEO involved, other executives posting on LinkedIn, getting your partner ecosystem working. It can be a much more powerful strategy when you think about demand creation outside of just marketing. Would you consider, you mentioned the dark social versus dark funnel earlier, which is interesting. I, I've only been focused on dark social. So would you consider podcast mentions and owning your own podcast, so that driving listeners and them saying that's what drove them or driving them actual SQLs, would you count that as dark social or dark funnel? So if you think about the, like, a very simplified form of the buying process. You have a buyer that doesn't know about you with a problem or anything like that, right? Typically the places, so they're not looking for your stuff. So they're not, they're not in G2. They're not in Google. They're not reading your website, right? They're not doing that stuff. So they're, they're over here. They're hanging out in the places where they normally hang out. They're going to the events. They might participate in the community. They're inside of the LinkedIn or whatever social network they use. Maybe they're doing some things in Reddit, whatever, they're over there. We got to figure out how to get into those places, communicate a, a business message that is received well and inspire someone to have an internal conversation, share content with an executive, bring it up at the next board meeting. We have to inspire someone to actually take action. When they start to take action, a lot of that stuff's going to be happening in the background. It's going to be in dark social. They're going to be sending uh, internal Slack to their CMO. They're going to be having a meeting with executives to talk through it. They're going to be building Google spreadsheets. Then at some point, someone's going to say, we're going to go out and start like looking for this stuff or someone might, might just do it. Then they're going to go G2. They're going to go into communities and they're going to say, hey, people, what's the best tool in this category? What's your experience been with this company? They're going to start hitting your website. They might be looking at pricing. They're going to do, they're doing things that are now demonstrating clear intent that can be measured on the internet. That's dark funnel, right? If you have a sixth sense or a demand base or something like that, the account signals are going to go off the, the decks, which is mostly driven by, by, we know people at these accounts are on our website now. And so in that part of it, then you actually have clear, like you have clear measurable intent, which can then drive ad activation. It can drive outbound. It can drive, uh, it can drive other actions because you can measure it in some way. Vendors of vendors and data providers have figured out how to measure it. So that's really what I'm thinking about in the, in the dark funnel area. Um, I don't know if that was a clear distinction, but it's really the difference between are they demonstrating measurable intent or, or are they on like the categories of dark social or well-defined social networks, podcasts, general word of mouth, private communities, internal meetings and communication. Like those are the general categories there. Um, and then on the other side, you have play, like search dark funnel is going to have measure search engines, affiliates, news blogs, sometimes review or referral sites that are passing that data and their own first party website data. So those are all sort of like dark funnel activity. That's how I would separate the two. And the, the difference is that 
dark social is not producing intent data and not being attributed to a person or an account. That makes sense. So they kind of work hand in hand where dark social is a moment in time. I think these are 100% complementary things. Yeah. So like uh, some people think that like I'm over here trying to like steal six senses thunder with the dark funnel. No, I'm trying to educate marketers that, Hey, like the dark funnel is real. Here's the things that it's being measured by a ABM or intent data vendor, but we have all of these other things that customers are doing when they're not looking to buy from you. And we need to be able to create demand and move people into buying cycles through these places. So I totally agree with you. I think they're 100% complementary, one for creating demand and one for capturing demand.